uh, my name is Carl Mosier. I teach uh, Biblical Studies at Eastern University outside of Philadelphia. And I'm uh, with you to this evening to speak to you on uh, Mormonism. Um, and uh, I'm very glad to see so many people in the room, uh, especially when uh, we've got world-famous scholars like Frank Beckwith and Ben Witherington uh, teaching elsewhere on the campus. I'm surprised anybody showed up to listen to little old me. Um, but uh, perhaps you have uh, some uh, interest in Mormonism and whatnot. And this is certainly a time where a lot of people do, uh, with Mitt Romney running for president, uh, John Huntsman running for president, with Harry Reid as leader of the U.S. Senate, uh, all Latter-day Saints. Uh, Mormonism is uh, often in the news. Um, and uh, some of you have probably have been aware of the controversies a few weeks ago. Uh, in which a pastor uh, in support of Rick Perry I told uh, folks that uh, you really, uh, if you, the choice comes down to uh, a Christian like Perry or a Mormon, you should vote for the Christian because Mormonism is a cult. And that caused a firestorm in the media um, and uh, uh, led to a lot of uh, newspaper articles and news reports and whatnot. And what I'd like to do this evening is to help clarify uh, how Mormonism relates to Christianity, um, uh, talk a little bit about what people mean when they say it's a cult, why I prefer not to use that particular language, and why it is that I think uh, at the end of the day Mormonism as a system of uh, theological beliefs is something other than Christian, and it is something other than Christian in a deeper sense than most people probably realize, and certainly in a deeper sense than the cult language uh, conveys. Um, so that's uh, what we're going to do. I'm going to uh, uh, look at Mormonism as a worldview. Right, as a worldview. I want to begin, though, by reading a passage of Scripture. This is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter. In chapter 10, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments, arguments, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Spiritual warfare is fundamentally the battle of ideas. In a conference like this, we are, of course, uh, examining a variety of ideas that compete with the biblical message, the Orthodox Christian message of what God has done in Christ for our redemption and for the sake of the world and what he has promised to do. Uh, we are defending the Christian worldview to give, as the title of the conference says, every man an answer. Right? Uh, whether they are naturalists, or skeptics, or agnostics, or in this case, Latter-day Saints, Mormons. Now, to say that Mormonism is not Christian is to invite uh, a lot of uh, controversy, because Latter-day Saints are very insistent that their faith is Christian and that they individually are Christians. Uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding, though, as to what we mean by this. Um, uh, the Latter-day Saint says, well, what do you mean we're not Christians? Look at the name of our church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, to emphasize their Christian identity, the LDS Church changed the logo that they put on all of their letterhead and on their buildings so that Jesus Christ is twice as large as all the other uh, uh, letters. 
the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, the Mormon will tell you, look, the Book of Mormon is another testament of Jesus Christ. Uh, interestingly, they uh, misunderstand the word testament, think it means testimony when testament really means covenant. But uh, that aside, they understand it to be a, a to testify to the divinity of Jesus Christ and his work as the Savior. If you read the Book of Mormon, um, you'll find that theologically uh, there isn't a whole lot to object to. It's really the history that's recorded there, right? Did all this stuff happen? And there's very little evidence for that. But in terms of its theology, it uh, is uh, uh, chock full of Christian theology, and sometimes in ways that uh, are uncomfortable for Mormons because it disagrees with Joseph Smith's later teachings, especially uh, on the nature of God. Uh, but if you read the Book of Mormon, you'll see Mormon uh, uh, characters in the Book of Mormon uh, going about preaching the gospel, calling people to faith in Christ, to be baptized in the name of Christ, etc. So the Latter-day Saint says, well, what do you mean we're not Christians? Read the Book of Mormon. It's, well, it's more Christian than the New Testament in some ways. Um, I mean, Jesus is mentioned everywhere, even in the period that supposedly happened 600 years before Jesus came. Uh, and they'll also say we worship Christ, we uh, confess Christ, we pray in Christ's name, we celebrate his birth at Christmas, we believe in the resurrection of the dead and celebrate Easter. How can you tell us that our faith is not a Christian faith? Now I think the Mormons at one level have a point there. If I were to be editing a book on world religions, and it had uh, sections, big sections, like Muslim religions, forms of Judaism, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism. I would put the chapter on Mormonism in the section on Christianity. Right? It's clearly related to the Christian tradition in a way that it is not related to Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, etc. However, I don't think that that is actually theologically significant. Uh, when we look at what Mormonism teaches on the fundamental questions of our existence, the big questions about who is God? What are human beings? What is our place in the universe? What is the nature of the universe? What is the fundamental human problem? We find that Mormonism offers answers that are radically different from anything that has ever been taught within Christianity. And we're going to uh, uh, show that here in just a minute. Now, I want to make a distinction right off the bat. And that is between uh, the issue of whether Mormonism as a system of belief and practice is in any theologically significant sense properly Christian and whether individual Latter-day Saints are Christians in the sense of having personal faith in Christ. Right. Now, we're uh, at a Presbyterian church here, correct? Um, uh, Presbyterians and all other evangelicals and Protestants are firmly committed to the belief that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. We are not justified by passing a theology exam. And I think that's a good thing because I think most of us would probably miss a few questions and we probably don't want our eternal well-being uh, dependent on whether we can properly explain the relations between the uh, usia of God and the three hypostases or the, uh, uh, you know, the hypostatic union of Christ's human and divine nature and all these complicated theological issues. A person is justified by faith in Christ, period. 
It is entirely possible, on my view, that despite the theological errors that Mormonism teaches, that an individual Latter-day Saint could read the Bible, could read even the Book of Mormon, and place his or her trust in the uh, uh, atoning work of Christ and not in their own merits, and not in the uh, claims of the uh, LDS Church as a religious organization, but simply and wholly in Christ alone, and that that individual would, when all is said and done, uh, be in the kingdom of God. Right? I, and I think that's a very important question, uh, a distinction to make, because a lot of Latter-day Saints, when you say Mormonism is not Christian, they immediately take it as an insult to them, as if you're saying you're a bad person, or as an insult in that you are minimizing their faith in Christ. Now, in another sense, I have to be careful here, because I do think it would be inappropriate for me to acknowledge that an individual Latter-day Saint is a Christian, in that this person is part of a religious organization that has uh, separated itself from Orthodox Christianity. Uh, and one way you can uh, 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 see this is with regard to, say, uh, our doctrines of baptism. Uh, all the differences that Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, Protestants, and Catholics have with one another, we do tend to acknowledge each other as Christians in at least the sense that we don't rebaptize, unless you're a Baptist. Right? That's kind of the big exception. But, you know, in a Presbyterian church like this, if somebody is Catholic and uh, uh, joins a Presbyterian church, we might confirm them but not rebaptize them, right? It would go the other way, too, if a Presbyterian becomes Catholic or Orthodox. However, if a Mormon comes to faith, we would insist on rebaptism because uh, even though they utilize the same words uh, and the same ceremony, they have not been baptized into a Trinitarian faith. Uh, we would say that uh, it, their baptism is invalid. Now, baptism is the initiation right into the Christian faith. Right? It's the public declaration. Um, and I want to say that it, it would be inappropriate for me to uh, call somebody a Christian who has not, via baptism, identified with the visible body of Christ on earth, which uh, I understand to be defined by uh, uh, the ecumenical statements of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Three persons, one God, right? The Nicene Creed, Apostles' Creed, etc. But the person could be regenerate and be in the kingdom later. Does that make sense to you guys? And it's a, a little bit of a funny distinction, but I think an important one. Now, the way evangelicals have tended to approach Mormonism historically has been to say, Mormonism is not Christian, instead it is a cult. I mean, this is the language that the pastor used that got him into so much trouble. And when we've done this, we've had in mind a very particular definition for cult, a theological definition. It goes something like this. A cult or a cult of Christianity is any group that claims to be Christian, but denies one or more essential Christian doctrines. So perhaps they deny the deity of Christ, or the doctrine of the Trinity, or original sin, or justification by faith, or whatever doctrine we are going to say is a sine qua non for Christian identity. And the idea is, well, Mormonism clearly denies some of these essential doctrines, and therefore it, it qualifies as a cult. Now, if we're stipulating definitions and everybody knows what the definition is, this is perfectly fine. And I think even a Mormon would have to say, okay, 
I guess you're right. Uh, by that definition, my faith or my church qualifies as a cult. The problem, uh, and there's several problems actually, is that most people, the first one is this, most people only know the sociological definition of the word cult. And the sociological definition, depending on who you read, tends to focus on things like uh, having a controlling leader, uh, having control over people's uh, personal decisions with regard to finances, who they marry, how they spend their free time. Um, when we think of sociological cults, we think of things like Jim Jones and the People's Temple in the late 1970s and how everybody ended up drinking uh, poison Kool-Aid and dying in Guyana. Or we think about the Heaven's Gate cult in the early 90s or the Branch Davidians and uh, the uh, 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 fire in Waco. Right? Well, in that sense, Mormonism clearly is not a cult. Uh, you don't get a major university in the United States like Brigham Young University, one of the largest, uh, if, you have a, if the, these people are uh, uh, under the absolute control of some mind-controlling kind of leader, right? I mean, they produce real scholars in lots of disciplines. They're intelligent people. And whether you agree with uh, uh, the politics of Romney or Huntsman or Reed, and I suspect you probably disagree with one or all three of them on some point or other, you would at least have to acknowledge these are intelligent men. Right? They're intelligent men. Uh, agree or disagree with their policies, uh, they don't appear to be uh, the kind of folks that you would expect to be in a sociological cult. Now, I think because most people in our culture only have this sociological definition, when they hear a Christian say Mormonism is a cult to Christianity, they think we are saying Mormonism is like the Branch Davidians or People's Temple or Heaven's Gate, and they're expecting uh, uh, that then a Mormon ought to be like really weird, maybe the eyes really wide and you know, unreasonable, unwilling to uh, talk about their faith in, in a rational fashion. And then they say, but that's not what my Mormon neighbor is like. That's not what my Mormon coworker is like. Uh, in fact, uh, when I talk to the guy in the cubicle next to me or the guy who lives in the house across the street, he seems to be a perfectly reasonable, rational guy. And in fact, in more, more times than not, seems to be a really good guy. Right. Uh, any of you have uh, Mormon friends or neighbors or family that you'd say, these are like salt of the earth type of folks, right? Uh, I mean, if disaster hits, frankly, I want a Mormon neighbor. Um, you know, and, and just for, I mean, not to be too uh, facetious or something, but, you know, Mormons, uh, one of their uh, uh, distinctive beliefs is that you need to have a year's worth of uh, emergency supplies in your house and three months of water and things like this. I really do want a Mormon as my neighbor in the case of an emergency. He will have food to eat and he will share. Okay. I actually have lots of stuff in my house, too. I, I'm always buying the groceries in our place, and uh, um, so I suppose I'd be a good neighbor to have as well. Okay. But I, I think the, the sociological definition that most people have uh, causes them to hear what we say in the wrong way. Right? We end up failing to communicate. And then what ends up happening is it looks as if we are slandering our Mormon neighbors. Right? And that's certainly what we don't want to do. As Christians, we are called to be truth-tellers, right? We want to be truth-tellers. And if this particular word is miscommunicating and making people think that we're lying, then it's perhaps best that we not use it. 
And I, I think that would, uh, uh, you know, if uh, uh, I think it was Pastor Jeffers, was that his name? I think, you know, he, he'd have uh, um, been able to make his point much more effectively if he had not used this particular term. I mean, the fact is, for many people, the word cult uh, comes across as a four-letter word in more than one sense. So, um, uh, so for those reasons, I, I find it problematic. But I also find it problematic for another reason, and this is rather ironic. I don't think uh, uh, defining Mormonism as a cult of Christianity and going through all the doctrines and showing uh, how Mormonism disagrees with Orthodox Christianity gets us at the root of the differences. I think in a really weird way, we kind of beg the question against the position, in favor of the position we're arguing against. Let me explain that. We're saying Mormonism is not Christian. Then we treat it as if it is. Right? So think about the kinds of things that divide Christian denominations. Right? A denomination denominates a common reality. We do this with our coins, say, right? A quarter dollar, uh, a half dollar, a dollar, right? Different denominations of the dollar. So we have Christian denominations, different denominations of the Orthodox Christian faith. Um, take the kinds of things that uh, uh, cause us to be in different denominations. So Presbyterianism. Presbyterians believe things like uh, uh, predestination, covenant theology. Uh, Methodism doesn't. <laughs> right? Free will, uh, uh, the uh, uh, ability to fall away from genuine Christian faith. Pentecostalism, emphasis on spiritual gifts like tongues and prophecy. Uh, Baptists. Believer's baptism rather than uh, infant baptism. And we have arguments, if you haven't noticed, with one another. I suspect some of you have been in those kinds of discussions. Now, some of these get to big issues, and we want to know, what does Scripture teach? How should I believe about this as a Christian? Or in some cases, what should I do? Do I baptize my children or don't baptize my children? Right? Very practical things. So Christians argue about a range of doctrinal issues. And then we go and we say, you Mormons, your faith is not Christian, but we're going to argue with you about doctrinal issues in much the same way that we argue amongst ourselves. And thus, in a weird way, while we're saying, because of these disagreements, you're not Christian, we're at the same time treating them as if they are. All right? So it's a weird form of begging the question. Um, so it, it, the, the cult language and this kind of a laundry list of doctrines approach, I think, actually, in a weird way, uh, masks the differences between Mormonism and Christianity. So the better way that I want to advocate is a worldview approach. And you have notes on this uh, in the uh, handout. I didn't realize they were going to print them like this, or I would have probably gave them a shorter set of notes. But um, let's just quickly think about what a worldview is. A worldview would be something like uh, um, the answers you give to the fundamental questions of reality through which you interpret experience and reality. Right? The fundamental things you believe about the world, about God, about humanity. Uh, a worldview helps us to make sense of our experience, helps us to make sense of uh, uh, the world around us. It uh, plays an important role in determining what we consider to be plausible or implausible as options. Right, so J.P. Moreland a bit ago was talking about uh, perennial naturalism and relativism as uh, 
uh, competing with Christianity for people's hearts and minds. And we all make knowledge claims. Well, the naturalist is going to find, given his worldview, that certain things that uh, we might claim to be true are implausible, like Jesus walking out of a tomb. Right? Well, we know dead bodies don't rise. Now, within apologetics, we want to counter those sorts of things and show the rationality of Christian belief and open the way for people. We can do something similar with regard to Mormonism, but first we have to understand what the Mormon worldview is. And it is at this level that I believe we find that uh, 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 the real stark differences between Orthodox Christianity on the one hand which for my purposes I will include Eastern Orthodoxy, Roman Catholicism, and Protestantism, and Mormonism on the other, we find they are radically different. A worldview approach helps us to get at the deep structure and the inner logic of how Mormonism works. It shows the distinctive of their vision of the world and God and humanity. Um, And it also helps us, I think, in some ways to appreciate our Christian beliefs better. Uh, On the handout, you'll see at the end, I've got a number of quotations, uh, not all by Orthodox folks, about the importance of heresy and the role that it plays. One reason why I keep studying Mormonism, even though I'm a New Testament scholar, is that I find that uh, uh, dealing with Mormon beliefs and their different ways of looking at things helps me to do Christian theology better Uh, In the history of the church, heresy has always been the best impulse for constructive Christian theology. Think about uh, uh, just, you know, real briefly, in the New Testament, the Galatian Judaizers come along and uh, Paul writes Galatians, and we benefit from it to this day. Ends up being a continuing dispute. What do we do about Gentiles and circumcision? And he writes Romans. Wow. All right. Um, think about uh, the second century. The Gnostics come along, and Irenaeus writes his masterful Against Heresies, a book that I found incredibly beneficial for reading the Bible uh, uh, and uh, understanding the Christian faith. Or going a little further in church history, the Arians uh, uh, and, and their beliefs about Jesus spurred Athanasius to defend the Trinitarian faith and write wonderful books like uh, De Incarnation, On the Incarnation, a great book for anybody to read. Um, or Augustine in the Pelagians, all right? and so on and so forth. Heresy uh, uh, is in a way a great opportunity for us to learn more of God's truth by way of contrast. By having to come up with answers for new challenges, we in the process discover new truths. So I think it's actually a great thing to study. Now when we look at the main elements of the traditional Mormon worldview, we're going to f- uh, uh, find that it is indeed different than uh, what we assume to be Christian. Now, I have to be careful here though, Because you're going to find that individual Latter-day Saints may not believe everything in this, simply because uh, either they don't know their faith very well, or because they are converts to Mormonism. Uh, The statistics tell us now that the majority of Mormons are converts to the faith from uh, Protestantism and Catholicism. Uh, There's actually a saying uh, that I've heard in Mormon circles uh, that says, uh, um, we baptize every week uh, um, a Baptist church. They took the average size of a Baptist church and they find that many converts are coming to faith. Actually, I think it might be every day. Every day uh, they're baptizing that many converts just from Protestantism. 
Um, well, these converts come in and they don't necessarily give up all their Protestant or Catholic beliefs. And they will often still tend to think about God and Jesus and salvation in largely traditional Christian ways with weird Mormon elements stuck in. And I think one of the things we want to do uh, for effective apologetics and evangelism is to actually show the Latter-day Saints uh, some of the implications of their worldview, uh, show tensions between different elements of their worldview, and tensions between the worldview and the beliefs that they've got right, and kind of make them choose. Do you pick this worldview, which is uh, radically different than anything that's ever been called Christian, or do you go with your deeper theological intuitions? And I'll touch on some of those uh, and some strategies uh, in a bit. Now, the most general features of Mormon, the Mormon worldview can be described with a number of adjectives. So I've got them listed there. Pluralism, eternalism, naturalism, materialism, and finitism. Now, what does that mean? Well, pluralism means that in the Mormon worldview, there are a, a number of ultimate realities. A number of ultimate realities. Not just God. But these include the eternal existence of matter, the eternal existence of um, uh, laws and principles that God did not make, the eternal existence of intelligences, which are kind of primal selves that can become human beings, angelic beings, or gods. So there are a number of ultimate uh, uncreated realities within the Mormon worldview. And these are eternal in the sense that they have always existed or they're everlasting. They did not come into existence. They cannot go out of existence. They've just always been and always will be. Naturalism. In a weird way, Mormonism is naturalistic in that uh, uh, God is within a, a cosmos not of his making. And I will say more about that in a bit. Materialism. Uh, they do not believe that there are uh, immaterial realities. So everything consists of matter of some form or other. And they will make a distinction between what they will call uh, uh, gross matter, the kind of stuff that tables and chairs and our bodies right now are made of, and more refined matter out of which our spirits are composed. But everything at the end of the day is material. Now all of this then leads to theological finitism. That is, God does not have absolute power over the rest of reality because he did not make the rest of reality. So he works within an environment that limits what he can do. So the cosmos then, on this view, is one that did not come into existence by the act of creation of a supernatural transcendent God. Its fundamental elements are uncreated and eternal. The uh, 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 basic nature of these things cannot be changed even by God, right? because they're part of eter you know, eternally existent entities. And these eternal principles actually govern everything, including God himself. So within Mormon literature, you can find plenty of statements that say uh, that God himself is subject to law and must utilize law in order to accomplish things. In the late 19th century and early 20th century, a lot of Mormon writers, including Mormon apostles, loved to talk about God as like the best scientist in the universe. Right? That he rules and reigns and creates much the way that a scientist does things in the lab by manipulating 
uh, material that is not of his creation, by forming and crafting. And that God can do a whole lot more than us because he knows more of the laws of nature than we do. Right? He's far, far advanced uh, and ahead of us, but it's on a continuum. Right? He's still within a world not of his making. So the cosmos includes these eternal principles that govern even God, and that our world, this world that we know, is simply one part of reality, uh, and it was created in the sense of uh, pre-existent chaotic matter. It was formed by our God, but there are other worlds, and those other worlds may be ruled by other gods. Now, in contemporary Mormonism, there's a debate about this. Are there gods above God the Father? Some Mormons say yes. Some Mormons say no. Are there gods who rule over other worlds or other multiverses or other planets? Some Mormons say yes. Some say no. Now, there is a move within Mormon theology uh, 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 that... Uh, where you do have greater emphasis on our God being the supreme God over all the universe and all the worlds. But this is a, a, a matter about which Mormons themselves uh, dis, uh, disagree with each other. Now, clearly, there's a plurality of deities possible within the Mormon worldview, if it's possible to have gods over other worlds. Um, also, when we think about the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, uh, Latter-day Saints understand the kind of unity between the three of them, not to be a unity of substance uh, or of a shared essence, but rather a unity of three beings who work together, uh, a unity of purpose, power, and love. But it's not ontological in nature. So it wouldn't really be uh, strictly uh, appropriate to say that they are one God, but rather they are three gods. Right? Three gods working together in a kind of divine council uh, to rule this world and redeem humanity. Within traditional Mormon thought, God the Father has not always been God. He started off as an intelligence. He developed into a, uh, a spirit child. He was born on a planet under a god of his own. And then by obedience to the laws and principles of the universe, uh, by obedience to the God above him, he eventually progressed. He uh, gained more knowledge about reality and the laws that govern it, and eventually was exalted to the status of being God. So God the Father is quite literally an exalted human being. Um, he also then is the paradigm of what we can be become. We too can follow this path and become exactly what he is. Now the Mormons will say, well, don't, don't misunderstand us. It's, it doesn't sound as heretical as you think because we will never uh, uh, surpass God or be his equal. That's true. Within the Mormon view, as uh, uh, God's children progress and advance in their knowledge, in their exaltation, he advances too. In a weird way, this is kind of like a cosmic uh, pyramid scheme, right? Uh, that uh, all the ones under you, as they advance, you advance. Uh, you know, it sounds like Amway or something. I don't know how these things work. But um, uh, so indeed, God the Father would always be your God and above you, but you could progress to become exactly, well, what he is right now, at least if you're a man. Right? If you're a woman, uh, uh, you won't be what God the Father is. Rather, you will be what Heavenly Mother is. 
So within the Mormon worldview, there is a heavenly mother who is married to the father, and we are their, their offspring. Uh, in the Mormon worldview, uh, human beings begin as intelligences, and uh, they are begotten as spirit children of uh, Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. In 19th century Mormonism, that was understood in uh, uh, quite frank sexual terms, just like uh, uh, you're begotten here on earth. Today, Mormons are a little reticent to say that and say, well, we don't really know how this is done. But there is some sense in which God the Father and his wife are our literal parents. Um, so this is obviously something that uh, Catholics, Protestants, and Eastern Orthodox have never affirmed. Now, God is, uh, uh, like I said, constrained by realities not of his making. Now, this is going to uh, uh, come into play when we get to the problem of evil and uh, how we pray to God. But in terms of his relationship to humanity, he is the paradigm that we follow. He has already uh, gone ahead of us on the path of progression, and we can progress with him. So a very important doctrine in Mormonism is the notion of eternal progression, and that you progress until you can become uh, a god, oh, be exalted to becoming a god. Um, now, not everybody is going to get this opportunity. You have to be uh, a part of the Mormon church. You have to participate in uh, certain ceremonies in a Mormon temple, uh, Mormon temples do not have church services. Uh, they, they have uh, special ceremonies and weddings. Uh, Mormons teach that uh, there are two kinds of marriage, one for time and one for eternity. So they would say that I and my wife, uh, we have been married for time. Uh, if we were to become Mormon and have our uh, marriage sealed, then we would be married for all eternity. If you have any friends who have been married in a Mormon temple, then their belief is that they have been married for eternity and will be married after the resurrection and still have the ability to procreate spirit children. Now, this is very important for Latter-day Saints because exaltation can only take place in family units, right? only in family units. It's the family that progresses together, and those that succeed and reach the highest levels of, of what they call the celestial kingdom, the, the man will become a father god, uh, his wife a heavenly mother, over a world of their own making, and that they will populate with their own spirit children, and then they will serve as, uh, to institute a plan whereby their spirit children can themselves progress and be exalted to godhood if they should prove worthy and obey the uh, uh, laws and principles and keep the covenants they make, etc. Clearly, this is a very different understanding of humanity. Right? At one level, on the Mormon view, human beings are not even creatures. We were intelligences that just existed. Then somehow, and Latter-day Saints don't really explain how, we were begotten and became spirit children in heaven before coming to earth. Uh, there was a, a discussion in heaven, and we agreed to come to earth to take on a mortal body. Because on the Mormon view, to get exalted, you need a resurrected body, and we didn't have one. So we come to earth, we are begotten by our uh, earthly parents. We forget our past conveniently, because this is a time of uh, testing. It's a time of probation to see how we will do. Uh, we learn knowledge, we learn uh, uh, what it is to live in a world uh, with, uh, without Heavenly Father's presence. Um, but nonetheless, we are given an opportunity to grow and uh, uh, be exalted through this. 
Now the primary human condition then is really that we, we don't exist already exalted, right? Uh, we haven't already progressed. And this is a kind of a real problem. Uh, Mormons don't usually recognize this, but you think about it. If you live in an uncreated world, there's no beginning of time. Right? Time did not begin. You have eternally existed. And one of the points I've made to, uh, in some articles to Elias scholars is, well, why is it that we aren't exalted already? It's not because we haven't had enough time. We have quite literally had an infinite amount of time. So why is it that other intelligences like God the Father and any other gods that are out there, why have they already reached this very high level of exaltation and we haven't? Are we the slow kids on the universal block? Are we the ones that just don't get it? Are we the uh, ones that have some kind of metaphysical uh, uh, defect that God cannot even fix because we are not of his creation? And uh, Latter-day Saints that I've talked to uh, um, have yet to give me a good explanation for that. I think that's a real problem for their, their, uh, the internal consistency of their view. Now, the temporary problem we have is that we're separated from the presence of God during this time of testing, and that we have sinned, and we need the atonement of Jesus Christ to reconcile us to uh, God the Father. Now, when we get to thinking about the uh, uh, nature of the cosmos and the human condition, uh, evil, of course, it comes up quite quickly. But Mormons have tended to explain evil in a different way than Christians. Whereas Christians have uh, generally said things like evil is a privation of good, a lack of good, kind of like darkness is a lack of light, that it is, strictly speaking, something alien to God's good creation or a twisting of good things for bad ends. Uh, within the Mormon worldview, uh, they believe in what's called the principle of opposition in all things, such that there is always going to be opposition between good and evil. Choosing between good and evil is necessary in order to progress. So you need to make these moral choices in order to uh, continue moving up the chain, as it were. And that, in a real sense, evil is simply an eternal part of the universe. Right? An eternal part of the universe. It's just a brute given. This is just the way the world is. Of course, you have to ask, then, why is it that we feel that there's something not as it ought to be? Right? Isn't that what evil really comes down to? You look at evil or injustice and you say, that is not how it ought to be, because we have a deep sense that this is a good world that God created that is in a state of rebellion, and that things happen that really ought not to happen. The Mormon worldview, in a way, naturalizes evil as simply part of reality. They understand history in a different view, because on the Christian view, there's a, a beginning to history. And it progresses linearly. God created the world, and it continues from that point on. Within the Mormon view, it's cyclical, cyclical with a kind of linear frame. Now, they believe that, uh, uh, at least within human history, God has revealed the gospel in its entirety from the time of Adam on. So on their view, Adam knew about Jesus Christ and baptism, that he would die on a cross, he would have 12 apostles. Like everything the New Testament teaches, Adam knew it. And then this knowledge was lost due to apostasy, a falling away. And then this knowledge was restored to the earth through prophets, then lost again, then restored, then lost, then restored, then lost. Uh, the last time, uh, uh, or the last two times, where Jesus comes, fulfilling all that uh, had been previously said. 
And then Christianity went into apostasy, fell away from the truth, lost precious doctrines about God, salvation, and humanity. And then uh, some, depending on exactly how they date this, 18, 1700 years later, God sent Joseph Smith to restore true Christianity to the earth. And the claim is that distinctive Mormon doctrines were really early Christian doctrines that had been lost due to uh, uh, human disobedience or the corruption of Greek philosophy or the loss of, of apostolic and priesthood authority. Um, and so we're in a, 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 the f- kind of the final restoration, and the Mormon church is the one true church the only organization on earth that has the authority to baptize and preach the gospel in Jesus' name. So the purpose of life in this world then is to receive a physical body, to gain experience through trials, to learn to choose good over evil, to grow toward perfection, to form family units, to gain the knowledge necessary for exaltation, and all of this takes place through the teachings and the temple rituals of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. On the Mormon view, you cannot achieve full salvation outside the Mormon church. Now, they do have a very expansive view of things. They've got three different heavens, and uh, uh, only the most recalcitrant, worst of sinners are going to be outside those three in what's called heavenly darkness. Most people are going to end up in the lowest of the third heavens, and they will have access to the Holy Ghost, but not to the Father or the Son. Really good non-Mormons, which they would probably say Presbyterians for the most part count as, uh, will get to be in the second heaven, and they might have access to the Holy Ghost and Jesus Christ. Uh, Only Latter-day Saints, according to most Mormons, will enter the celestial kingdom, and then that kingdom is itself divided in three, and only Mormons who have kept their covenants, their temple vows, in family units will achieve the highest level, which is exaltation to godhood and the ability to procreate spirit children after the resurrection, what they call eternal lives. Now, I think the Mormon worldview has some difficulties I don't think it explains why anything exists or continues to exist. It's just a brute fact universe that we live in. I don't think it can adequately account for the philosophical and scientific evidence that confirm the Christian doctrine of creation out of nothing. That the universe began to exist, and it began to exist uh, uh, because of the agency of an incredibly powerful being who is unembodied, like God. Uh, I think it's difficult to see how there could be objective moral values in the Mormon worldview. Now, Latter-day Saints indeed believe in objective moral values, but I don't think that's consistent with their worldview. Uh, The Mormon worldview is a weird form of naturalism, a weird form of naturalism. And so it has all the problems of naturalism. How do you get an objective moral value in a universe that is ultimately just matter, organized matter? Why isn't it just a social construct, right, uh, or uh, 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 social bias? Why isn't it just preference? I mean, I mean I'm not going to get into all of this now, but it seems to me that on any naturalist worldview, uh, moral values at best are like flavors of ice cream. Uh, you can prefer chocolate, you can prefer vanilla bean, you can f- prefer strawberry, but it's foolish to argue uh, about what is the uh, right or the true flavor of ice cream. 
right? We would think it's kind of foolish. I think a lot of our secular peers uh, think that way about us when we take uh, 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 positions on uh, beginning and end of life issues, sexuality issues, uh, um, uh, uh, policy issues that affect how we uh, deal with other countries, deal with the poor, where we're saying this is right or this is wrong, and they say it's just a, your preference. That's true for you, but not for me. Uh, do what you want, just don't bother me and, and shove it down my throat. Well, we believe that there are transcendent, objective moral values. The Mormons do too, I just don't think it's consistent with their worldview. Uh, they have this odd physicalist understanding of human persons. I don't think it can account for our unity, our mental events, or other things that we know through introspection. I think the Mormon worldview exacerbates the problem of evil by undermining our warrant for believing God will overcome evil. Right? If, if your explanation for evil is, well, God did not have the power to do anything about it because he's constrained by things he did not make, why would you ever think he can ever overcome it? Right? Aren't you saying it's impossible for him to overcome it? Um, if evil is just a natural part of the universe, why do we feel outrage over injustice? Right? Why wouldn't we just say, well, that's just the way it is? Right? Uh, some people happen to have a certain emotional response to it. Others don't. Who cares? There's no objective fact of the matter. Um, so I think it, it undermines and exacerbates these issues. And then, very interestingly, because the Mormon God is, uh, uh, he's not necessarily good. He happens to be good on their view. He happens to be an example, a, a moral exemplar. But he's not necessarily good in the way that the Christian God is. Right? In Christianity, we teach that God could not sin because he is the good. Uh, in the Mormon view, he's a progressive being who did have genuine moral temptation that he overcame in order to become God. <coughs> On the Mormon worldview, God could actually fall and cease to be God. And Joseph Smith and Brigham Young both admitted to that possibility. So they said that uh, God could actually cease to be God, and because of the eternal uh, uh, powers of the uh, universe, he could be cast down from his position and from his throne, along with all the worlds that he has made, right, which would include ours. <coughs> to my mind, that undermines... Um, our confidence in God. Right? If God could go wrong, think about how we look at the world. The Christian looks at the world and says, we have a good world that is in rebellion, but God will restore it. He will overcome. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. Um, and then we try to explain the fact of evil right, within that theological framework. And it's never a possibility that we would conclude God is bad and evil and causing these things to harm folks. On the Mormon worldview, you actually, I think, need to look at this empirically. If God could go wrong, then we need to ask, did he go wrong? Did he fall? And we can look out at the world and say, well, okay, why did God not intervene in the Holocaust? Right, even though the Mormon God is not, is not omnipotent in the classical Christian sense, surely he could have stopped Hitler. Why didn't he? Was he complicit? Right, was he, did he want this to happen? Uh, we have to ask, does God have his good days and his bad days, like the Greek gods of antiquity? Right? Sometimes they wake up on the right side of the bed and they're happy with us, and other times they're not. It becomes an empirical problem, and it also undermines prayer. Right? Uh, I think on the Mormon worldview, we can't be confident that, one, God will answer prayer, because if he could go wrong. But even if we're confident that he hasn't gone wrong, does he actually have the power to answer our prayers? Because he is a finite physical being within a universe he did not make. 
Now my strategy in a lot of my encounters with Latter-day Saints is simply to do this, to pit the deep intuitions most Mormons have about uh, the reliability of God's faithfulness and his promises, about God's ability to answer prayer and overcome evil against the implications of their own worldview and to force a choice. Force a choice. Do you believe that God is absolutely trustworthy and omnipotent and omniscient and he can make good on every one of his promises? If so, you should be a Christian and hold to an orthodox understanding of God, humanity, and the universe because that grounds those uh, beliefs and that confidence. Or are you confident about this Mormon worldview stuff in which case that ought to alter how you trust God, the degree to which you trust God, uh, uh, how you look at evil. And uh, it seems to me that uh, for most people, their deeper intuitions are the ones they share with us as Christians, not the ones that they derive from the teachings of Joseph Smith and his successors. Thank you. you. Yes, sir. So the question is, do, do uh, Mormon beliefs about Christ uh, that are erroneous disqualify them from having genuine faith in Christ? The example was given of uh, Jesus and Lucifer being spirit brothers. Um, two things to say. One, uh, just a point of clarification, and that is, on the Mormon view, uh, it is true that Jesus and, Jesus and Lucifer are brothers, but then again, so is Jesus and Mother Teresa, and Jesus and you, and Jesus and me, and me and Lucifer, and me and you, because all of us are spirit children of God. So I, I think that particular belief sometimes is kind of taken out of this bigger context in a way that distorts what Mormons believe on this. Everybody, human and angelic alike, or in the case of Jesus and the Holy Ghost, divine, are spirit children of God and thus brothers and sisters. But in terms of the, the, the more substantive question, um, you know, heresy is dangerous, right? It, it affects how we live in the world. It affects how we think. Uh, it's hard to know exactly, though, at what point do your beliefs make it uh, um, not merely difficult, but impossible to uh, uh, have faith in Christ. Uh, I do want to say that uh, in, in, at one level, uh, I think you can have mistaken beliefs, but have your faith hit the right object. Kind of like if, uh, uh, think of it this way, I might think that uh, um, Ander over here is a, a lawyer, and I say, oh yeah, you know, the lawyer Ander over there, and it turns out, well, he's not a lawyer, he's an IT guy or a computer guy, right? Would I have been referring to him appropriately? Yes, with a mistaken belief, and it might be a pretty seriously mistaken belief. Or that I might point to somebody across the room and say, well, you know, the, the, the guy over there in the purple shirt, and it turns out it's a gray shirt. Um, now, there does come a point where if your descriptions are badly off enough, uh, you're not going to be able to refer. But notice what I do in each of those cases. I'm pointing, right, what, what philosophers call ostention. And I think the Mormon uh, 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 is intending to do something like that. I believe in Jesus, and they might give all sorts of wrong descriptions, 
But within those descriptions, there's a kind of pointing. You know, the one that lived in uh, Palestine in the first century, the one that was crucified on a cross, the one who walked out of a tomb. So I want to say it is possible that despite the erroneous theology, they can, they can point, and it may very well be the case that an individual Latter-day Saint may have genuine faith in the true and living Christ. They just have a lot of mistaken beliefs about him. So, Yes, sir? Okay. Yeah. Right. All right. So the, qu- the two questions: one is how do Latter Day Saints deal with divorce? The other one is what if I'm uh, in one of the lower two levels of heaven and I want to go up? Uh, Latter Day Saints do allow divorce for various reasons. They'll tend to be the same sorts of reasons that Christians might give: marital infidelity, uh, um, abuse, <laughs> things like that. Uh, I think your question is probably getting at uh, when they've been sealed together for eternity. They do have a way of undoing that. Um, so, yeah. You can undo that, um, and then uh, uh, you could get married to somebody else within a temple, be sealed to that person for eternity. Uh, well, they, 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 it, the, the sealing can be broken. Um, Conversely, uh, uh, a man, this is not widely known, but a man could be sealed to more than one woman. In 19th century Mormonism, this was obvious with polygamy, but uh, today if a uh, a Mormon man uh, becomes a a widower, his wife dies, he was sealed to her, he could become married to another woman and be sealed to her. And the implication then would be that in eternity he would have two wives. Um, so that's not something they object to as such. It is something they don't uh, uh, say much about because they've given up the practice of polygamy uh, because of government pressure and such, but not necessarily the principle of it. Uh, the other one on uh, can they go up to other heavens, there's actually been debate within Mormonism about that they ask the same question. Can, since we're progressive beings, can we keep progressing? And many have said even God is a progressive being, he keeps going up. Uh, so shouldn't we be able to go up between the different heavens? Uh, and some say yes, some say no. Once you're assigned to one of these heavens, uh, uh, this uh, uh, probationary period on earth is uh, uh, leading to kind of a permanent stop in your progression. So that's as far as you're going to go. And they'll say it's a blessed place, it's a great place. Joseph Smith talks about the lowest heaven being better than anything you could ever imagine, and so on. Yes, sir? Yes, a good friend of mine, Mormon, um, invited me to his church. I said, I'll go if you come to mine. So we went back and forth. Now he tells me the standard Rome uh, Mormon uh, cliche. Pray about the Book of Mormon. Yes. And if the Lord reveals it to you, it's true. If he doesn't, yes. then you haven't prayed well enough. Right. <laughs> so, um, and James White deals with this issue and others, and so that leads me to a second <clears throat> point. What book would you recommend I give them that's standard for a late morning? Uh, so, Ooh. Um, the question has two parts. How would you use yeah. a strategy to deal with that particular question? Right. So, so how do I deal with the issue of Mormons asking us to pray about the Book of Mormon, and then what book? Um, In terms of the book, uh, it's hard to say. It depends on the individual person you're dealing with, their own educational level, what they can handle, what issues they're dealing with. So I can't really say, here's the book. Um, Yeah, now in terms of the... the, Yeah, I mean, uh, I suppose, you know, it's um, self-serving, but uh, the New Mormon Challenge that I (laughs) co-edited. 
uh, or uh, um, uh, to everyone in answer in which I've got a co-authored essay or you know the articles I've written. <laughs> um, obviously, I think like most people, I, I like my own stuff. Um, but uh, uh, in terms of the, the I think the, the, actually the more pressing one, uh, should we pray with Mormons uh, about the Book of Mormon? And uh, uh, there are apologists who say, no, you shouldn't do it, it's dangerous or something. I, I disagree with that. I think, yes, I should. Um, and I do. And I find that that actually throws the Mormons off. A little story, I had uh, uh, four Mormon missionaries show up to my door one day. I don't know why I got four, but um, <laughs> maybe they knew who I was, I don't know. But uh, four Mormon missionaries, two guys, two girls. And uh, we start meeting and chatting, and uh, they've got their script, but I sort of threw them off because I raised different questions, not the ones they have canned answers for. I take them to the Bible. We're looking at Ephesians 1 and 2 and all sorts of things going on there, and they want me to pray. And I said, sure, I'll do that. And they come back the next day. I said, did you pray? I said, yes, I did. Well, nothing happened. I'm still convinced that uh, uh, Christianity did not go apostate that uh, Christ has kept his promises, that the church, uh, uh, the gates of hell would not prevail against his church, that the Spirit of God has led us in all truth, and, uh, um, that, and I'm not convinced the Book of Mormon is an ancient translated text, or that the Mormon church is the one true church. And one of the Mormon missionaries says, well, you must not have prayed sincerely enough. I said, well, let's pray right now. And um, one thing I do in my encounters with Mormons is I always take the lead in praying, uh, and I offered a prayer. And I'm genuinely sincere when I do this. I, I admit to the possibility, while I am very convinced Mormonism is not all that it claims to be, um, it is, strictly speaking, possible that I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, I want God to show me that. Right? I want Him to make that clear to me. And so I will pray with the Mormon uh, missionaries right there. And in this particular story, uh, I offered a, a fairly long prayer. And uh, uh, when we're done, they're looking at me and they're waiting, right? They, you could tell on all four faces, they thought they had me. <laughs> and I said, well, I mean, I mean they're, they're doing this, right? You know, they think that you're about to uh, uh, tell them what they want to hear. I say, I'm sorry, I, I still do not feel any burning of the bosom or, or any revelation. And uh, uh, three of them are clearly disconcerted by this. The fourth, you're a devil. <laughs> all right? You were not really sincere and gets angry. And the other three look at their companion and think, oh my goodness, this guy has just gone off the rails. Uh, because they were, they, you know, and I'm not acting, right? I was, I, it was, I was genuinely, sincerely praying. And they're not accustomed to seeing Christians genuinely, sincerely pray. And they, they told me, the Mormon, uh, the three said, we felt the Spirit. We felt the Spirit while you were praying. And I, that's right, I know God. <laughs> right? I'm not unaccustomed to coming into his presence. And you were with me when it happened. And they, they had this sense of the divine. But then this one guy did not know what to do with it. And, uh, but I, I think it's actually a really good thing to do. <laughs> yes, sir? Yeah, what, what about the, uh, the idea that uh, every cult, every false religion has a uh, demonic... Counterfeit spirit behind it. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, the, the question of does every uh, de uh, uh, counterfeit religion have a demonic spirit behind it? Uh, I'm going to say that uh, uh, in this respect, uh, all false beliefs are ultimately in some sense uh, um, uh, demonic or uh, uh, malevolent, right? The, uh, Paul talks about the principalities and powers uh, of the air and of this age. Uh, we read the passage in 2 Corinthians 10 about spiritual warfare. Uh, I think that, sure, in one sense that's true of everything. Uh, I don't want to uh, um, uh, make that too specific, though, and say, like, there's a particular special demonic presence in Mormonism over and against naturalism or Jehovah's Witness or Hinduism or something like that. Uh, certainly, uh, the enemy uses all falsehood, right? Uh, but uh, uh, what we're told to do in spiritual warfare is to contend with the arguments, the ideas that inhibit the knowledge of God, and so that's where I tend to focus. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Uh, you described how um, the unity of persons and genuine mental events were things that would um, be evidence of difficulties within the Mormon yes. worldview. Could you explain what you meant by that? Yeah, so uh, I'm asked to explain uh, um, uh, this idea that Mormonism's odd physicalist understanding of human persons uh, makes it difficult to account for the unity of persons, genuine mental events, and other things we know about ourselves. Uh, that's a, I, I threw that in there knowing it's kind of a huge topic. Um, within philosophy of mind, uh, there are a lot of discussions about to the nature of consciousness, uh, mental events, beliefs, uh, and a lot of people, because of naturalism, trying to uh, explain our, our experience in purely physicalist terms, so that uh, on that view, you are your brain and all of your beliefs and intents and uh, memories and et cetera are simply uh, the structures of the brain and the neurochemical reactions taking place. And uh, I side with uh, uh, the majority of, the, uh, of Christian philosophers in saying that uh, physicalist understandings of human persons don't really, uh, uh, aren't able to explain a lot of features of our experience. And I can't get into all of that, but just like a, a you know, just a quick example. Um, Let's say that uh, I'm a brain scientist and I uh, hook up electrodes to your head. And I happen to be a really, really smart brain scientist with a supercomputer and I map your brain and I know every single event that's taking place. I can't actually identify uh, uh, your, um, uh, say, your imagination of a pink elephant. Right? And your imagination of a pink elephant doesn't appear to be physical. I can't weigh it. I can't measure it. Um, or take your, your, uh, the qualities that uh, attend to your experience, that what philosophers call the qualia. Um, we sometimes have experiences that uh, are vivid or not, or uh, intense. Well, how, does, how do you explain that physically, right? Or uh, just, just the general ways in which we describe things uh, in degreed fashions. Um, so the, this gets us into really big philosophical issues. Uh, I think ultimately the Mormon view, while it's sort of dualistic with a, a two-part understanding, because they're both physical in nature ultimately, though a refined form of matter on the one hand and a, a, a coarse form on the other, um, it has all sorts of problems explaining how it is that you can have these two physical things that are sort of interpenetrating one another uh, and how those create a single person. Whereas on the traditional Christian view, we have souls, but those souls are immaterial. 
and uh, we don't have uh, the interaction problem of like atoms and atoms crashing or you know go to the subatomic level or whatever. Uh, J.P. Moreland has an essay on this in the New Mormon Challenge. Uh, it's pretty high flying, it'll go over most people's heads, it, uh, uh, but he deals with this issue in quite a bit of detail. So I'll defer you to him. Yes, sir. frustrated with that mm -hmm. and a couple on a couple of occasions I had to apologize because I got angry because I was so frustrated um, just in a practical sense engaging them yeah I mean yeah so in a, in a practical sense how do we engage Latter-day Saints at the door uh, I'll tell you what I do uh, I try to be friendly I try to make uh, uh, um, points of contact I ask where are you from uh, where'd you grow up uh, how long you been on your mission I understand that uh, the majority of Mormon missionaries are 18 to 22 years old. They're away from home for the first time. They miss mom, right? They miss dad, they miss apple pie. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're doing something that I have to commend them for. They're giving two years of their life for young men, 18 months for young women, to a cause that they believe in, right? I have to respect that. Uh, I wish more of our young people were that committed. Um, and I want them to know that. Uh, I also understand they're not theologians or Bible scholars. Uh, they are not trained apologists. Uh, they've gone through a six-week training program at a missionary training center. They were given uh, instruction about a certain number of lessons where they try to get people from uh, unbeliever to member of the church. They've been given answers to a handful of common objections. Uh, but they're not in a position to really uh, defend their faith. For many of them, uh, they will have read the Book of Mormon and the Bible for the very first time cover to cover during their missionary training time. Uh, they will be reading these texts daily on their mission, but it's a learning experience for them. They certainly don't know a lot about Mormon history uh, or the, the philosophical issues I've raised. What I try to do is, uh, on the one hand, uh, make them comfortable and friendly. Uh, um, I'll sometimes take them to lunch. Or when I lived in Scotland, in St. Andrews, Scotland, where we have the famous uh, Royal and Ancient Golf Course, I took the Mormon missionaries to the little putt-putt course next to it, right? <laughs> 18 holes on a green. Uh, at one point you get to hole 17, it looks like you're on the Royal and Ancient. Uh, and it's got this famous stone bridge in the background where Tiger Woods walks across to win the British Open. I took him golfing there and took pictures of him with that bridge in the background um, to show that, uh, uh, um, you know, we're lighthearted, have fun, we're real people. Uh, and just try to make him feel welcome. But then in my own discussions, uh, I try to share the gospel um, and I do it by, uh, my favorite text to use is Ephesians 1 and 2, uh, where Paul tells us that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realm. Um, it talks about how we were dead in our sins but made alive in uh, Christ because of what God has done. And I emphasize my own story of how I was dead in my sins and how Christ came into my life and made me alive. I point out that there is at no point any distinction in terms of what believers get between three levels of heaven. It tells us that we have, present tense, been blessed with every spiritual blessing. According to God's riches and glory, 
in Christ Jesus. And I ask him, what's the difference between out of God's riches and according to God's riches? Right? What would, uh, if Bill Gates wanted to uh, uh, show how much he cares for you and your, your great work, and he wanted to give you a gift according to his riches versus out of his riches, what's the difference? Well, if Bill Gates comes up and gives me $10,000, I think, wow, great, I've got 10000 bucks, I could use it. But you probably made 10000 bucks by blinking your eye. Right? That's not according to your riches, it's pocket change. Um, it'd be kind of like you know, if somebody uh, said, hey, Moser, show me how much you care for me. All right, here you go. I care for you a whole lot. There's a nickel. I mean, that's nothing. You can keep the nickel. <laughs> um, uh, but if it's according to, right, Bill Gates would be giving billions. Right? God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus according to his riches and glory. Now, I take it then that uh, um, you know, right, uh, whatever is true of the afterlife, right, whatever the Mormons ascribe to the celestial kingdom and everything, I already possess that in Christ and probably something greater and better. Um, and it, the Mormon church never shows up in that uh, sequence of events. It is, I was dead, he made me alive, I have been blessed, because I am in Christ. And uh, I try to get the Mormons to see the glory of the gospel, and to see that the gospel, not the restored gospel they're proclaiming, the gospel is grander than anything that they have to offer me. So, I think we're out of time, is that correct? All right, actually, we're way past time. Thank you very much. Biola University offers a variety of biblically-centered degree programs, ranging from business to ministry to the arts and sciences. Visit biola.edu to find out how Biola could make a difference in your life.